0: And turn to Isaiah chapter 50 this morning. Sunday morning, Sunday evening rather, we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and we'll look to study chapters 49 through 52 this evening. And we want to pull a section out of that to give a little more attention than we can on the Sunday evening. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you get their attention, they'll put a Bible in your hand and you can follow along with us. It's marked right to the passage we're studying today. And if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pluck out plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint And I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us in this room Thank you for your heart of love and concern for us that is greater than any other human being, no matter how wonderful they might be, that might have for us. We thank you for the relationship that we have with you. We thank you for Jesus who has made it possible. And Lord, we pray that in that relationship that you would speak to us today, take us deeper in it. We thank you for your commitment to us your commitment to this relationship that we have with you, how when we become neglectful or we become fat and sassy spiritually and ignore this relationship, you never give up on it. You always bring us back to it. And we thank you for your commitment to it and your love for us and the desire that you have to give us as close a relationship with you as we can have this side of heaven. We give you praise and we ask that you would meet with us through your word, by your Holy Spirit now as we study, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As Christians, the most intimate and personal part of our lives are what is known as our devotional Lives, that time that is spent at the start of each day communing with God and fellowshipping with Him. And what we say to God during that time and then what He communicates to us is probably the most personal and the most private part of our lives. And if we were able to get a glimpse at your devotional life, the communion that you have with God, if we were able to be in some kind of a, a window, was put in the room where you, that occurs for you each day, and we were able to watch you and to listen to what you say to God, what you pray to Him, and then what He communicates to you, we'd be getting a glimpse at the deepest stream within your life. I don't think that there could be a better way to really know a person and understand a person more quickly than if we could have that kind of a glimpse into your personal relationship with God as a Christian. And in these verses here, these six verses in Isaiah chapter 50, we are given an unbelievably valuable And priceless glimpse into the very devotional life that occurred between our Lord Jesus and our Heavenly Father. And these six verses are a prophetic description of the devotional life between God the Father and His promised servant, the Messiah, that is Jesus. We're given a glimpse at this very, very private part of Jesus' life. And I think it's given to us doubtless in order that we might know Jesus better, understand Him better as a result, but also that this would be an instruction to us in our personal relationship with the Lord. We are, after all, as Christians, uh, the body of Christ. Christianity is supremely, above all else, Christianity is about a relationship. It is about a relationship with God. And perhaps you've heard people say, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, well, they'll say Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And it's true. This is last week I heard a Bible teacher. I download some of his studies and listen to him on a pretty regular basis. So I love him and I respect him very much, but he reached a certain part in a sermon where he was teaching on something, and then he spoke about, he used that phrase, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and he used it in a mocking way, and he used it in kind of a scornful uh, way, making fun of it, and, uh, and then proceeded to make some kind of an argument on the basis of it. I was unmoved by his argument, and, <clears throat> and I dismissed his scorn. And I continue to love him, and I'll continue to listen to him uh, nonetheless, but I disagree with him strongly on that particular point. As Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus as a full and satisfying payment for the forgiveness of our sins and the obstacle of our sin is now removed between us and God, the Holy Spirit then comes into our lives. It is the greatest miracle that a human being can ever experience in life. That is to have the Holy Spirit come into your life, be born again by the Holy Spirit. And then at that particular point in time, we now have the capacity for a personal relationship with God, the God who created us, the God of the Bible. Christianity is not, as many people kind of seem to think, it is not merely fire insurance, the means by which We escape the hell that we deserve because of our sin. And there's a lot of people, their Christianity never goes beyond that. They put their faith in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I know that I'm going to go to heaven someday. But in terms of really thinking about a relationship with God and then beginning a lifetime of growing closer in that relationship with God, it never even enters into their radar. They never even think of the Christian life in in those uh, terms. That's not their understanding at, at all. So they're on their way to heaven, absolutely. They have a personal relationship with God. They just don't know it. They don't know the capacity. They don't know the potential of the relationship. And so, so very often they'll simply ignore it, and the relationship lies undeveloped. And it never grows beyond, the relationship never grows beyond kind of a quick prayer to God related to a meal or a quick prayer to God uh, asking Him to pull them out of some kind of a pinch that they find themselves in uh, at the moment. But Christianity has made a way for us as sinful human beings, a way for us to know God as our Heavenly Father, and to know Jesus as a friend. These are relationship words. Jesus spoke to the disciples when they wanted to know a little bit more about how to pray. He said, well, after this manner, pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, Jesus has made a way for us to have a relationship with God the Father. Jesus spoke concerning himself to the disciples in John 15, And he said, I no longer call you servants or merely servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. This is a calling as a Christian into a family, into a relationship, into a friendship with God. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches. They're recorded in the book of Revelation. The first letter he wrote was to a church located in the city of Ephesus. And to that church he wrote the following. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not And you found them to be liars and you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I mean, you read that description, you think, could I have the address of that church? I think I'm changing churches. Tremendous description. But then he goes on to say this. And it's it's the, the contrast that makes it so strong. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love, the relationship aspect of Christianity. He said, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And the relationship aspect of Christianity in the church of Ephesus was being crowded out, and it was being crowded out even by a good thing by Christian service. And yet Jesus warned them that if they did not return to making their relationship with Him the supreme part of their Christian life, then He would remove His fullness, the fullness of His presence from that church. Why would He do that? Because Jesus will not be a part of advancing the influence of any church or any individual which de-emphasizes or ignores the fact that Christianity is supremely about a relationship with God. God did not save us because He needed uh, serfs. He didn't save us because He needed a free labor force by which to communicate the gospel. He certainly didn't save us in order for us to then ignore Him for the rest of our lives, until one day we see him face to face in heaven. He saved us because he wants a personal relationship with us. And that's why he saved us and what he has saved us into. Now, a key, to, key part in developing and nurturing this kind of a relationship with God involves what is prophesied in our passage concerning Jesus. And not only prophesied concerning Jesus, but then practiced by Jesus during the 33 and a half years of his incarnation, his lifetime in human history. And what the key part of developing and nurturing that relationship with God is what is described here in Jesus's life, beginning each day by spending time alone with God. I think in verse 4, if you notice, I want you to notice that phrase that he awakens me. Jesus declares here concerning the Father and his devotional life. Something gets awakened here. He awakens me morning by morning. I love that particular Old Testament description of our daily devotional life. It is to be awakened by God morning by morning. So every morning we wake up physically, don't we? You did that this morning. Once again, your presence here is an evidence of that. So every morning we wake up physically, and it is necessary to awaken physically in order to get up and then to rise up to engage the world on a physical level. So we wake up physically, and then we spend time preparing ourselves physically for the coming day. Showers. Makeup, grooming, combing hair, looking at the schedule that we have of all the appointments we're going to have to keep that day. And it can take some time in order for uh, that being prepared physically to meet the world on a physical level. That takes a little bit of time for each of us, some more than others. On a morning. Some of you, everybody knows not to get around you until you've had your second or third cup of coffee. You don't even know you're a human being until you've had your second cup of coffee. All a part of your ritual for awakening physically to now engage the world on a physical level. Well, in the same way, the phrase is telling us that we need to be awakened. And the word awakened in the, in the Hebrew there it means to be stirred. It means to be roused up. We need to be awakened spiritually in order to now engage the world on a spiritual level. Because as Christians, we don't want to just engage it on a physical level. How small of a life would that be to live? We want to also awaken, need to awaken on a spiritual level to engage the world then on that spiritual level. And who better to prepare us for a new day in this way than God? And in fact, only God can do that. And here he tells us how he does it and how he did it in Jesus' life and how he will likewise do it in our lives as the body of Christ. Notice these significant component, components or elements of this quiet time uh, described here. And by way of introduction related to this, let me say that a personal quiet time with God, as it's often referred to, it requires a quiet place in order to engage in an uninterrupted way in that relationship with, uh, with God for that to occur. Jesus taught in this regard in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, but you, when you pray, so prayer is an, ass- it's an assumed activity in a Christian's life, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So a quiet time requires a quiet place. And Jesus practiced what He taught, practiced what He preached. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, we're told, after a day of tremendous spiritual activity in the northern area of Israel, the Galilee, we're told that in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, He, that is Jesus, went out and he departed to a solitary place, a solitary place, and there he prayed. I want you to notice very significantly, again in verse 4, that phrase, The Lord has given me. This time in Jesus' life, this time in our lives, is a time when God imparted something to Jesus on a daily basis. It is a time in our lives in which God imparts something to us on a daily basis. Every day, morning by morning, God wants to impart certain things to us, certain things that He knows can only come from Him. And notice first, there in verse 1, the early part of it, that this time in which, that this devotional time is a time in which our tongue or our speech is sanctified unto God to start the day. And the word sanctified means to be set apart unto God's use, to be made holy. This quiet time is a time in which our speech, our capacity for speech, is dedicated to God and set aside for His use. Now, all of us are going to use the capacity of speech every day. Some of you are going to say more. Some of you are going to say less. But most of us are going to say a lot of things in life. I remember ever since I was a little boy, I used to think, you know, there's a lot of talking going on. i listened listen to the teachers. I did a lot of talking myself. Um, in the classroom all through elementary school, I would get all A's and B's in the classes and everything. But then in classroom conduct, I would get a N, needs to improve on self-control and talking with other students around him and uh, so and poking them with pencils or whatever kind of things were going on i was a victim i was a victim i was innocent they all started the conversation with me but i would think to myself and even into adult life I'd say well, i wonder how many words we say in a given day i wonder if you could you know block that off by uh, occupations or whatever what or just how many does an average american how many words does an average american speak each day well Some years ago, a woman did a study, and it was a good thing a woman did it, because if a man had done it, oh, my, oh, boy, uh, the the women would have burned down every major city in the United States of America. So it was a woman. Her name was Lou Ann. She was a part of a study at University of California, and she found that women in her study on average speak uh, 20,000 words daily compared to only 7,000 words uh, for men. As you might imagine, this, these numbers were immediately contested. Now, I don't know whether there's a three to one ratio and difference between how much a man speaks and how much a woman speaks on a given day. Again, Men are as different as from other men, and women are very different from one another, lots of personality and all. But I think in my life experience, I do think that women are the more social creature and uh, the friendlier and the more likely to talk than men are. And it certainly is not a negative observation at all. Well, she put out her study. And it created this firestorm, and so other studies quickly followed. And when they were, uh, these studies were conducted, they came to the conclusion that men and women in the United States speak about the same number of words every day when uh, grunts were considered words. Uh, that factored it up for the guys, in, you know. And on average that we speak an average of 6,500 words uh, a day. And so whatever the uh, sex might be, that's a lot of words to come out of our mouths each day. That's over 400 words uh, per waking hour for the average human uh, uh, human being. And of course, that, that doesn't take anything into uh, consideration, all the different means of communication that we have today that Uh, needs to be sanctified. In those days, communication, education being what it was, we're talking about 2,700 years ago in terms of what's being spoken about here and the mouth being sanctified, for the average person, the means of communication was not written. Most people couldn't write. It was speaking. Well, today, we use both our thumbs to communicate. Uh, We use our fingers and emails, all the different ways that we have even beyond speaking to communicate. That all needs to be sanctified and set aside to the Lord. We're going to do a lot of communicating in the course of the day. So it's important for us as Christians that our speech, what comes out of our mouths, out of our thumbs, out of our fingertips and all, that it be directed by God each day for the simple reason that words are very powerful things and they're very influential things for good or for uh, bad, but they are influential and what comes out of our mouths really needs to be directed by God each uh, day so that these our speech will be influential uh, for God's reputation as a representative of God, but also for the advancement of the kingdom of God in the world that we're uh, living in. Now, second, this time with God is intended to give us, uh, the writer says, the tongue of the learned. You say, what's the tongue of the learned? (laughs) Help me out a little bit with that. It means a tongue that's discipled. The word learned carries the idea of being discipled or being a disciple. This refers to a tongue that's been taught by God or trained by God. It is a tongue or the capacity of speech that receives its instruction and its direction uh, from God. Uh, All around the world, you have ambassadors from the United States to various nations of the world. They all have their ambassadors to other nations in the world. And one of the things that an ambassador has to wake up with, whether it's a man or a woman, they wake up each day realizing that I no longer, by virtue of being an ambassador of the United States to Germany, that when I wake up each day and I go out into my public life, I no longer simply represent myself, little old and Kyle, but I represent the entire government and nation of the United States of America. And when a person understands that about themselves, then they become very concerned that their speech will be trained to properly represent um, who they're representing. When a person realizes they're representing someone or something far larger than themselves, then they're careful about their speech. Their speech needs to be trained to reflect that. Business, it's the same kind of thing. If you are in some upper management or management position of some major corporation or whatever, and you travel to the other side of the world or the United States, and you come into a meeting, they're not looking at you and, uh, you know, where you went to elementary school or any of those kind of things. You are a representative of this company, and they're going to judge that company on the basis of what comes out of your mouth. And how much more for us as Christians, the Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And so people are going to listen to what we have to say, come to conclusions about the bigger picture of our life, conclusions about God and about the kingdom of God by virtue of listening to us. And so it's important for us to realize as Christians that we're a part of a much larger picture and that our speech needs to be trained and it needs to be directed morning by morning. It occurred in the life of Jesus, and the Father wants to do it in our life uh, as well. Jesus declared of himself in this very regard in John chapter 12. He said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And Jesus declared similar things all the way through His public ministry. He had the tongue of the learned. And where did He receive that day by day? At the feet of the Father, so to speak, in that personal relationship. And we receive the tongue of the learned in the same way with the consciousness of the powerful influence of our speech, and given how, because I am a Christian, my words, again, are not merely a reflection upon myself, but upon God and upon the kingdom of God, upon other Christians. And so in this time with the Lord, we begin the day, among other things, saying, Lord, I set my capacity for speech over to you today. I ask that you would sanctify my tongue today and that you would come out of my mouth and only have what come out of my mouth, what you desire. And that's a prayer that God is happy to answer and he wants to answer in our lives. And in the course of the day, when we begin that day, Having dedicated our speech to the Lord and say, you direct, it's your instrument, use it for your glory. It's amazing when we begin the day with that kind of sensitivity that we'll find ourselves then in a conversation and the Lord will speak very much to us personally by his Holy Spirit where someone, a conversation is going on, one that maybe I'm so filled with self-preservation or I'm so self-protective related to the relationship or the environment that normally I would zip up my mouth and not add anything to the conversation. And the Lord says, you speak up here and this is what I want you to speak. And it's a wonderful experience in life. And you say, okay, here goes. And you add in the two cents that God is wanting you to add. Or sometimes there's a conversation that's going on, and uh, they're talking about something that God is saying, no, I don't want you to be involved in that. So they could be talking about politics. They could be talking about, uh, you know, the Kardashians. They could be talking about the Grammys. They could be talking about uh, who knows what. Or they could be talking slander and gossip or any of these kind of things. And the Lord says, don't touch it. Don't open up your mouth. Don't and and sometimes it's really hard for me. I mean, uh, you may not know, but truth is going to die with me on these issues. I'm something of an expert on uh, hip hop music and rap and different things. So that people start talking about that, I got a lot to say on that word. (laughs) So, so, but it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes I got to fight against it. I want to jump in. I want to jump in. And the Lord will say no, and it all comes out of that time in the morning. It's very supernatural, and it's very real. And it operated in Jesus' life, and it operates in our life um, as as well. Notice, too, in verse 4, that it is here in this quiet time that we are prepared not only uh, concerning what to speak, but also how to speak Uh, The passage says that I should know how to speak. And I think all of us have lived long enough to realize that a person can say, we can say the right thing and say it in the wrong way, and we've completely destroyed it. Uh, Communication is only its most powerful when we say the right thing and then we say it in the right way. And then now that's a powerful conversation. We walk away from it and go, that went really good. But to say the right thing and say it in the wrong way, it mars everything. And so part of this time with the Lord in the morning is in order to get us into a place where, okay, now I'm listening to God. I'm going to say what He wants me to say. But further now, I also want uh, to say it in a way that reflects Him, to say it in... Uh, in the right way, because if you do it insensitively, you do it with a wrong tone, and you can end up in the doghouse. I mean, what husband doesn't understand? Something about this is that a perfectly wonderful thing, but said it in the wrong way, or you snapped it, or something like that. And it works both ways with the sexes, or in lots of other different places in life, and the whole thing is marred, and uh, it's very uncomfortable at home uh, for a few hours. And so there needs to be the right thing, but then in the right way. I've watched uh, street preachers ever since I became a Christian, and uh, they fascinate me. Uh, and uh, sometimes, you, uh, if I see them ar- around town operating, or if I see, especially in a major metropolitan area or some big city, and there's a street preacher, I don't go like right up to him like this and you know, stare. I'll find a, like a pole somewhere. If quite a few yards away and I'll just pretend, you know, and uh, whatever. And I'm just leaning up against it, casually listening, you know, to the things. And because I'd like to see how the people are operating and pray for them and listen to what's going on and how are they declaring the message to this audience and things. And it hasn't been unusual for me to hear... In some environments where you've got a, a street preacher who is declaring the gospel, they're de- declaring to human beings the single greatest message that we can ever declare to another person, and that is how to be saved, forgiven of our sins, enter into a relationship with God, and have everlasting life. That's the what. That's the greatest what anybody can ever have come out of their mouth. But then to watch them and have them be so angry with the crowd that is walking by. They're virtually yelling at them and spewing the gospel at them and on. And sometimes I'll look at that and I'll say, I don't think their devotional life went long enough this morning. So they got the what okay, but they didn't sit there long enough to receive the how. And I think we all recognize that this isn't limited just to street preachers but that we've all done the very same thing. All right, the what got covered in the sanctifying of my lips, but the how, no, I needed to spend a little more time in there, in that place so the Lord could impart that to me. And there have been other times where then you see a street preacher it is an example, you know, and here they are, they're, they're declaring the what, this wonderful offer of salvation to people, and they're so filled with love and compassion and a heart for sinners that are living so far from God and the price that they're paying for that, and you just feel like these, this person's come right out of the presence of God, and indeed in the continued presence of God, and, and speaking all of this, and it makes me want to go up and get saved. Uh, all over again. And so the what and the how, that's a powerful combination when it comes from God. And of course, all this can be readily applied to our marriages, to raising our children, our work environments, and so forth, where we just begin the day by saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit right now in order that I might not only say the right things today, but I'll also say them in the right way. Because the tongue of the learned is a tongue that is sensitive to people. He says here, it speaks a word to him who is weary. And so that phrase that's used there, a word in season, that means just the right word of encouragement at just the right time. To those who are the most vulnerable in life or the most fragile in life, those who are the least able to absorb the blows of a hurtful tongue. I think one of the great things about growing older and um, one of the great things about growing older as a Christian is to, and, and to grow in an in ever-enlarging life experience that's processed as a Christian is to realize... How many people are hurting in the world? And to wake up in the morning and to realize fully 50 to 70 percent of the people that I'm going to end up talking today. I'm not just talking about me as a pastor, but just period. If the truth were known, if they really wore their life and their emotions on their sleeve and people don't, I'm going to talk to a lot of fragile people today. I'm going to talk to a lot of people who are really hurt today And I want them to hear the what, but I want to say it, the how, in the right way. And yes, sure, there's a lot of other people that are a long way from being humbled and being broken by life and all of that. But I really am convinced that they're the minority in life if we were to know uh, the truth and all of this—the what—and then also the how—it comes from God to us, morning by morning. This kind of love for people, this kind of concern for people, this kind of compassion uh, for people—it happens as we spend time with God to begin the day, and then He imparts His heart for people to us. I want you to notice that this occurred in Jesus's life, morning by morning. And it's important that that same thing happens morning by morning in our lives as well. And that means every single day. Jesus plainly taught us as his disciples that we are to begin each day in prayer to God the Father. So I quoted a part of his what's known as the Lord's prayer earlier in the sermon we'll go a little deeper into it. Jesus said after this manner pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer. And it is a prayer that is to be prayed at the beginning of the day. It isn't thank you for the bread that you gave us today. It isn't a prayer that's to be prayed at the end of the day. It is a prayer that is prayed at the beginning of the day. And so the importance of prayer each day to begin the day to the Father, and it's intended to be a, mark the start of each day. And when we do that, one of the things that happens with this kind of quiet time that occurs is a conversation with God begins. So it's like I've prayed with Him. I've already talked with Him in the privacy of my home long before I go out into the world. And so now when I go out into the world, close the front door, I'm off and running, the conversation has already been started with him. It's already ongoing. So now I'm processing all of life with him in conversation. If you see me in a store, if you see me at O'Brien's at a Save Mart or wherever it might be, and you see me in in an aisle where they've got 75 different brands of lima beans, and I've been sent to pick up a can of lima beans. You are watching me commune with God. Lord, which one of these cans of lima beans am I supposed to buy to take home? And why do people eat lima beans at all? Who started that racket? driest what? Or you go? you leave the front door, you begin your commute. And then the maniacs, they're driving on the road. These people are... They think they're trying out for the blue angels or something. They've got a jet and they're going. And so instead of just getting angry and it's all just between you and you and the whole thing, these idiots. And I'll tell you, I'll see them crashed up in front here and all. And you just begin to think, Lord, look at that. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. I think I'll move into the center lane, you know, give them some room. But that conversation is going now. Much harder to start the conversation later in the day. Best to start. Started right at uh, the beginning of the day. And then we begin and we're able to slip in very readily to what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do as Christians. And that is to pray without ceasing. Now the day begins and on again, off again, always on heart communion and prayer with God, but an on again, off again, verbal prayer. Uh, with the Lord that, that happens. And that can be verbal in our hearts as well as uh, being, uh, being spoken uh, out loud. And there is no better time for this, of course, than at the start of the day, just as Jesus modeled in his, uh, in his public ministry and in his incarnation and as we see it here in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 50. The problem with uh, having a devotional life and having it at the end of the day is that the day is over. So all of the conversations have already occurred. Uh, All of the decisions have already been made. And they've been made independent of the conversation so often, the intimacy. Maybe you've had this kind of an experience in your own life where the day is like really... The start of the day, you're really hammered. You've got to get to these things, and you think to yourself, all right, at noon I'll use my lunch hour and I'll have my quiet time and all, but I gotta get I gotta get to these phone calls, I got appointments to get to, and I've got this thing that I have to have happen here and all. And so you say, I'll take care, I'll take care of this and meet with God at lunchtime, or worse yet, I'll just do it at the end of the day. And the problem is, and you have all experienced it noon comes and you open up the Bible and you begin to read it and then you begin to pray and commune with God and you realize I would have made a different decision on half the decisions I've already made. Or I would have handled at least half of the conversations that I've had with people in a completely different way if those conversations happened after being with God as opposed to before being with God. Anybody else understand that? Related to your life? I've done it. And then I've got to go back and I've got to clean that up. And I said the what. The what was right, but the how wasn't even close to what it needed to be. And I've made a mess for myself. It isn't good to talk with people before we've talked with God. And at the start of the day. Additionally, at the start of the day, our hearts and our minds are at their freshest. They're not depleted by the demands of the day and all. So we're able to come to God where our mind is is at its best, our heart is at its best to give Him the best part of the day. So it is undeniable, absolutely undeniable, that how and what we speak in the course of our day is very different depending upon whether that day was begun in conversation with God or not. Begun in fellowship with God or not. And we all know it from our own personal experiences. Notice too in verse 4 that this is a time not only in which our speech is sanctified, but also a time when our hearing, our ears are sanctified, set apart unto God as well. Think about how much you listen to every day. How many words go into your noggin and into your heart? Again, way back when, this is written 750 years before Christ, 2,700 years ago, the average person in a village or whatever, then no phone, no radio, no TV, uh, no iPod. If if they were going to hear anything, it was going to be some other villager or someone in their family talk. You think about how small the number of words were that they would need to process on a given day compared to the tidal wave of words that hit us on a daily basis as Christians living in the year 2015. And so you think about not only how many words we speak in a given day, but how many words each and every one of us hears in a day. I think like never before in human history, we really need our ears to be set aside unto God, to have our ears opened by Him, and then begin the day with sensitivity to Him. And now all of the words are still going to come. All the noise is still going to come. All the wonderful conversations are still going to come. But now I'm going to process all of that with him, in relationship with him. Oh, boy, Lord, what would you think about that conversation? I don't know. I don't think all that was true. I don't think it was true either, you know. And the whole thing is going on, not just with our speech, but with our hearing as well. And I think that this is where that um, listening to God uh, part of our devotional life is where the Bible comes in because it's the principal means by which uh, God speaks to us. So the Bible, it, um, it cleanses us, it equips us, it feeds us uh, spiritually, and, and it uh, washes us spiritually and morally. But it's also the principal means by which God speaks to us. It's very important to read the Bible in that way. Lord, I don't want to read this book as an academic now as I begin the day. I thank you that you've given it. This is a revelation of you. I can't believe that I get to hold a Bible in my hands. You're talking to me by your Holy Spirit. You, your Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Jesus has given me access. What's going on in this room right now is unreal. Never believed that it could be true, and yet it's true between you and me. And I don't don't want to read it as just an academic. I don't want to just get a bunch of head knowledge, though I'm thankful for head knowledge. I don't want to even do it supremely as a discipline. If you've got something on your heart that you want to say to me, here before I even open it up and begin to read it, I ask that you speak to me from your heart as my heavenly Father speak to me through your Word. And the Word of God is the single great way that He communicates uh, to us and sanctifies the speech and the hearing, and it isn't just His word, and He'll do that as we read His word as a part of our devotional life. But then sometimes, just in terms of praying to Him about situations, He will then speak to us word, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. He will give us a peace about a situation that we didn't have a peace about before we began to pray. Lord, this child of mine. So messed up here in this place, trying to go from childhood into adult life, and in this terrible time of transition for her, and then it's so difficult for us. And I don't know whether to tighten down the screws even tighter or to release, or I don't know what to do here, Lord. What should I do? And then the Lord speaks to us and gives us wisdom and peace about a particular direction. The same prayer about a boss that you're heading in, who's going to be the most difficult person you meet all day long. And you're going to meet him all day long. Lord, help me. Prepare me for this. How do you want me to interact with him? Or if you're an employer, uh, then speaking of an employee all the different areas of life. Lord, this decision that I'm facing, I don't know what to do here. And then we give Him that opportunity in our quiet time to speak to our heart by bringing a Bible passage to our remembrance or giving us, again, a spiritual gift, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, giving us peace. The situation, this happens all of the time, but even recently in a situation that happened in my life, I am saying, Lord, what what am I supposed to do here? What's going on? I I can't. You know what? And and he didn't give me any answer. He didn't say, "Well, this is it." And here's the, here we'll pull door number two. Now it's all clear to you. And he just gave me boom peace. It's okay. It's okay. Well, I like to know why it's okay. <laughs> no, no, it's just okay. And if it's okay, if I'm okay, you can be okay, right? So. He answers prayers in this kind of a way. Notice in verses, last part of verse 5 and then in verse 6 that this time at God's feet, so to speak, it includes a fresh submission to the will and the purposes of God for our lives, whatever the cost might be. And here we're given this incredible insight into the price that Jesus paid even before he got to the cross, to die on that cross for our sins, the abuse that he took from mankind. Why did he go through it? Why did he do it? A significant part of it came out of this time with the Lord. On the morning of the cross, you remember he prayed to the Father, and it was a morning prayer. He said, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And this morning by morning, being awakened spiritually in this way, it's a time in which we freshly surrender to God and say, God, I choose to walk with you. I choose to obey you. I choose to live for you today, no matter what is going to come my way today and that issue of his lordship is settled once again first thing in the morning before I head out into the world and now the decision needs to be made on the spot so I've surrendered to him in this way and then at 10 o'clock something arises that is a temptation to compromise to deny him for something to come out of my mouth that I know I shouldn't say but I want to say or some other temptation is going to come my way at 2 o'clock. And when those things come all through the day for us as Christians, then we've already settled that issue before we left the house. So we're not on the moment with the temptation as big as can be before our eyes, trying to figure out what we're going to do. At that moment we can say, I already made this decision already this morning what I would do here, and now in the power of your Holy Spirit... I choose to do that now. And that's an important part of the Christian life. Because the world that we live in, all the way until the Lord comes back, is going to be harder and harder to live this life as a Christian. There's going to be more temptations to compromise, more temptations to accommodate sin, more temptations to not open our mouths and be ambassadors, more, 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 more. All of this kind of thing is, is coming, and it's coming already as a a tidal wave. And so beginning the day by saying, God, you saved me. I would have thrown my life away a thousand different ways if you hadn't. This life belongs to you. I counted a privilege to live this life. I don't consider your commandments to be a burdensome. I consider it to be the joy of my life, to not only live this life for my own pleasure, but for people to see a different kind of life and come to know you as well. And so I choose before I leave the door that this is the kind of life that I want to live and whatever choices need to be made in the course of the day for that to happen by your grace lord i commit to making that decision and making that choice and it's an important thing and more than ever necessary that it happens before we even leave uh, sitting with the lord that morning now i'll close with this in verses seven through nine and I won't develop these things. I'll leave it to your own rich preacher like minds to develop on your own. But I do want you to notice that in verses 7 through 9, God is careful to not only describe the devotional life of Jesus and give us this incredible glimpse into it, but he describes the beneficial effect that this had upon Jesus in His incarnation and in His ministry. So let's notice these three beneficial effects that this time with God has on us then for the remainder of the day. In verse 7, it causes us to enter into each new day with a boldness and with a confidence that we wouldn't otherwise know or experience God is going to help me. God is with me. I'm not going to be ashamed for trusting in Him, for living in Him. And it puts that boldness and that confidence in our lives. In verse 8, it causes us to enter into each new day with a peace that we wouldn't otherwise know. God is going to take care of me. I'm not heading out into this world all by my little old lonesome. I'm heading out with a God that I know is alive and a God that I commune with today, and I enjoy the peace of that relationship as I head out into the world. And then finally in verse 9, it causes us to enter into each new day with a godly perspective that we wouldn't otherwise know. That despite what things look like outwardly to me, despite the persecution of others against me for my faith. I'm not the one who's on thin ice. They're the ones who are on thin ice. It allows us, this time with God, allows us to see life, reality, as it really is. Not as the world tells me what reality is, but it isn't reality. But I see the world for and things for what they really are and how we need it. And God supernaturally imparts these things to us morning by morning. There is no better way for a Christian to begin his or her life each day than in this way. And I ask myself, why would the Holy Spirit give us this Old Testament glimpse of the coming Messiah's devotional life? Why would he give us this prophetic glimpse? I understand why he told us that he would be born of a virgin, he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would die on the cross for our sins, he would be buried, he would rise again. Uh, These are big things. These are important things to know about Jesus. Why this obscure passage that tells us and gives us revelation concerning his devotional life? Why would the Holy Spirit bother with that? And I think it's because no one will ever understand Jesus. His life, his teaching, his ministry, his heart, apart from his devotional life with the Father. And it's equally true that no one will ever truly understand and experience the Christian life apart from a relationship with God that is nurtured and deepened by being awakened by him morning by morning. Perhaps you've heard the old observation concerning a Christian's quiet time, the time that's spent with God each day, where someone will say, someone in my position, a preacher typically, will say, well, if Jesus found it necessary to have a quiet time, then how much more are we in need of doing so? And someone says, well, I've heard that, but I don't like it. I feel like every time I've heard it, the pastor's been, like, condemning with it. It's a tone of condemnation related. Okay, let me try it without the condemnation. If Jesus found it necessary to be awakened morning by morning in this way, then seriously, how much more do I need to be awakened spiritually in the same way to interact spiritually with the world all around me and we're very much in need of it I think and I don't think that any Christian will ever make a true impact for the kingdom of God apart from this being a part of their life and in fact they will have missed Christianity they may go into heaven, into heaven with a mountain of information in their brains. They will go into heaven. Yes, they will one day stand in heaven on the basis of their simple faith in Christ, but they will have completely missed Christianity, this side of heaven. It is a relationship, and it is that which God has saved us into. That's what he wants from us more than anything else and from which everything else must come. And I don't think that you can condemn a person into doing this and establishing this as a part of their life. I don't think you can guilt them into it. I don't think you can badger a Christian into making this a part of their daily life. Those motivations will never endure. Never, ever, ever endure. But I hope I've handled the passage in such a way for us to see the beauty of it, the winsomeness of it, the attractiveness of it, and to produce a longing in our heart for this to not only be a part of our lives, but an ever-deepening part of our lives. It happens, I think, when a Christian becomes aware of its importance, and I hope that's happened this morning. And then when a Christian longs for their Christianity to be supremely what God wants it to be, that relationship with him, and then when a Christian looks and says, yes, I want every single part of my life to be conformed into the image of Christ, I want Jesus to be the model of every area of my life, And then that Christian becomes sensitive to the Holy Spirit's call to set the first part of the day aside for God to accomplish these very things in our lives. You know the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit on this is He will not rest in the life of a Christian until this is the most prized and treasured Part of our life, until we look at that and say, "I can." Everything else cannot happen today, but that has to happen. One thing is needful here on this, and then to where it becomes the most precious, most treasured part of our lives, and the Holy Spirit will continue that work until uh, that until it has that sweetest place within our lives, again, because to miss it is to virtually miss everything that the Christian life is. And the great help in starting all of this is we've got daily breads out in the fellowship hall and the information counter upstairs in the library. And it's just a simple little booklet. You can pick it up for free. And it's got a little thing where you read through the Bible all in the course of a year, a little program for doing that. And then you start the day, and it's got a little passage of Scripture that you read, and you look at it, and sometimes you're new to the Bible, and you go, I don't know what that means. And they'll have a little devotional that follows it that explains that, and it then puts the Word of God in your heart, gives us something to begin to think about, begin the conversation with uh, related to God, and it helps develop this devotional life as a part of your life. And if you don't have that in your life yet... Grab one of those devotionals and begin and you will find the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and he will establish all of this within your life and happy to do it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, it's very important for you to understand the very point that I began with, that Christianity is a relationship. Christianity gets represented as a million different things there's a million different people saying a million different things about it i am one of them so you say how do you i know that you're right and everybody else is wrong i hope what i said came off of the pages of scripture and you could see it for yourself god wants to forgive you of your sins to have a relationship with you Not to become a part of Calvary Chapel necessarily or come to church every week or multiple times a week for the rest of your life but not have that relationship with God. Why do we meet in a room like this? Why do Christians do this? Oh, we're earning our way to heaven, right? No, that's not what's going on. What's going on is we're learning about God so we can grow deeper in our personal relationship with God. It's all about the relationship. The God that created you and loves you wants to have a relationship with you. And there's a barrier. It's called sin. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your sins will be forgiven and washed away. And you can begin that relationship with God today. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship this morning. That's what Christianity is. Is. I'm yelling at myself, not at you. We are great complicators of what is very simple, and it's important to hear it. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Father, for this revelation of yourself of your own heart, the revelation of Jesus here and the priceless, intimate glimpse that you have given us of the devotional life between you and Jesus all those 33 and a half years. Thank you for including it in your word. And thank you for making it so beautiful and so attractive that we long for it to mark our lives as well. Thank you for the relationship, Father. We don't know what we would do without it. And I pray and we pray that you take each one of us in this room this morning by the hand and under the beautiful weight and majesty of this passage that you would lead us out into a deeper and richer and more intimate place in our relationship with you, more than we could ever dream or ask. We trust you for it, Lord. We long for it. We ask you for it. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday night with-